This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Thank you, Eugene. Good morning, everybody. Everybody awake? Okay, hallelujah. Um, I'm so excited to be with you this morning again. This week has been wild. Yo. Um, <clears throat> Yo. God has done so much this week. And I think that, I think what, there was 18 salvations last night. Then there was like, what, maybe 40 school kids on Tuesday night running to the altar. First time in my life I see high schoolers running to the altar to get saved. And we had a few more people, I think three at the worship night, and three at a wedding, then a few on the streets. Like the kingdom is advancing forcefully. And we get to be a part of that. And I just want to thank you guys for stewarding well um, the calling that God has given you as a church to be a, an apostolic movement. If you haven't noticed, this is not just a local church. Okay, you would be way more comfortable if it was just a local church. That's why you're here the whole time, right? And that's why there's multiple things moving the whole time is because it's a movement. And um, I just want to honor your leadership, guys. Thank you, right? Everybody that does all the behind the scenes things, getting the words on the screen, <laughs> doing all of that. We really love you guys. You guys are amazing. Um, so my name is Gabriel. Gabe, what do you work for you? I don't really have a preference. Um, and I'm a part of Fine Fragrance. We're a missions movement organization that is all over the world, but the one in South Africa is based in Poch. And um, also that confused me as well. Don't worry about it. You're not the only person that goes like, Poch, why Poch? Um, I asked that question for a very long time as well. Don't worry about it. And, um, but the interesting fact just about Poch, for all of you who don't know, Poch was South Africa's first capital city. Right after we were a colony, our first ever capital was Pochestrum, and um, I I believe that God wanted us to be there because He wants to start something new, right? But that is not new, right? That is a continuation of what He's always been doing, right? If ever you plant anything in a church or do anything in ministry and you think you bring the new it thing, right? Careful, right? There's nothing new under the sun. Um, but we're stationed there, and um, we're about 65 full-time missionary staff there, and we do everything from Bible translation. We're running the biggest Bible translation school in the world right now. Um, we're doing um, evangelism to schools, crusades, outreaches, anything you can think about Bible schools. Our goal is to really see, um, to an extent, a northern expression of what you guys are doing here. Right? You guys send out more missionaries than most mission bases I know. And I've worked with a lot. Right? When it's normal times, you send out 400 short-term missionaries a year. That is more than most places I know. And I'm saying all these things because if you think you're just in this church and you just come for a Sunday service in Hamanet or a small group, too, then I think you have not understood the church you're in. That you're a part of God wrote you into a story because you're a certain type of person. And so I'm mentioning all this for a reason, okay? So I'm going to pray for myself quickly, and then we're going to jump into what I feel for today. Um, 
Satan really opposed this today, so God definitely wants to do something. So God, I thank you that we get to be with you and with each other together this morning. And I ask King Jesus that you would be present among us, that our eyes will be set on you, that our hearts will be set on you. And we love you, God. Thank you that we get to love you. Amen. Awesome. So um, I wanna, I'm going to do a few things, okay? I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. And then number one, I'm going to talk a little about history. I love history. I've studied politics, right? If you don't like history, you shouldn't do politics, right? I, so I'm going to talk a little bit of history. I'm going to talk a little bit Bible. And I'm going to talk a little bit personal testimony. But I want to talk about being missional today. What does it mean to be a missional people? Now, I want to warn you, or let me give you a little bit of peace. Sorry, there was a miscommunication up there. I'm not going to talk about that. But yeah, God can be trusted. That's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, <clears throat> I promise you, I'm still here. He can be trusted. Um, <laughs> sorry, Ella. <laughs> Tosca's been trying to disciple me to the slide world, but I'm resisting it strongly. Um, where I usually preach, there's no slides. Right? There's a, a, a tomato can that you stand on and there's people sitting on the floor. So that's why I'm not used to doing all that stuff. But um, I want to talk about being missional, and, and I, I want to give you a little bit of relief. My view of missional does not mean you just have to move to Tajikistan and go learn the language and see people get saved. That's not my only view of mission. It's definitely in it, and, um, but I believe that our obedience to Jesus in our everyday life is what it means to be missional. Okay, but I'm going to shoot, hopefully in Jesus' name, a few holy cows in the face, right, so that we can kind of shake out of our cozy hides and be effective in the kingdom, right, because a lot of times we all go like, yeah, I'm a missional person too, right, I, I live a good Christian life, and I go like, that's not enough, okay, none of the disciples would have been persecuted and martyred if they just lived a good life. People wouldn't have cared if they did that, but they opened their mouths, and that's where the danger came, so... Um, in South Africa, we have a very interesting history, right? And all of us know that, and it's sometimes a little bit like contested, just sometimes, not always, but it's, it's, it's pretty rough. Um, but the cool thing about our history is the first ever missionaries was a group of people called the Moravians. Who's ever heard of the Moravians? Can I see a big hand? Okay, awesome. Okay, so there's a few of you. So I will explain it. The Moravians was a group of German missionaries, Okay, and they, they didn't start out as missionaries. They started out with this guy called um, Zinzendorf was his last name. And um, he was a nobleman and he, had su he was super wealthy. And um, he was a party animal. And um, he had this very radical um, conversion story. I'm going to read it to you now. And then he, he started on Herrenhut, which means the Lord's Watch was like the estate that he had that was his. And there was religious persecution from the Catholic Church in that time. And he just gathered it. all the groups that were being, being persecuted. He just gathered them. He said, hey, just come to me. I'll look after you, right? And then all these people, Anabaptists, Lutheran, all these different people came. And all of them had different beliefs, right? And then they started fighting among each other, right? Like people usually do the Protestants, right? We protest, right? We always fight because of what we think is right. And um, he got all of them together. It was all this fighting. And then he went around as a 28-year-old young man and... Um, 
had everybody sign this treaty that talks about like um, to gather around what is essential, to not divide among that which is unessential and to be bound together among everything with love. That was kind of their contract. And so then this peace came in this community and they started worshiping together every night for a season, taking communion. And one night the Holy Spirit fell powerfully in that thing. And this is the 17th century. This is a while ago. And um, <clears throat> out of that outpouring of the Holy Spirit, what happened was a hundred year prayer meeting broke out. That for a hundred years, 24 seven nonstop, there was worship and prayer. And a group of 50 some people that grew into some 300 that grew more, right, sent out the most missionaries that all of Christianity sent out for the previous thousand years. And it was birthed out of a place of intimacy of Jesus. Okay? They were the first missionaries that will sell themselves into slavery to reach the slaves. <laughs> nah. Now you're afraid to tell your boss that Jesus loves him. Mm -mm. So that's what they did, right? These two young guys sold themselves into slavery. They went to the Bahamas and they would stand in the back of the ship and they would yell to their parents so the lamb might receive the reward of his suffering. And their parents would yell back at them so the lamb might receive the reward of his suffering. And they would yell that back and forth until they could not hear each other anymore. And so I think it was 15 or 18 years later, Zinzendorf actually went to the plantation where they were sold. And when he got there, I think there was 30,000 Christians. But those two men were dead and buried. Right? Now that's pretty radical, right? Okay, it's like on the ex well, an extreme of radical, right? But then there's an interesting thing that happened, I wanna read this to you, I just wanna make sure of this, I wanna make sure you're all smart people. Um, by the 17th century, the end of the 17th century, one of these young men actually came to South Africa and his name was George Smith. And George Smith came to South Africa as a 26 year old and he was the first ever missionary to South Africa. And he worked among the Khoisan. And from the first time that he was there, he got persecuted by the Dutch government. Because you know why? He told these people they had the sanctity of life. He taught them how to read. How could you dare do that? They're animals, they believed. And our spiritual forefathers were persecuted by the government because they taught people the value of life, right? Long story short, he started a little town called Genodedal, which is not far from here. And they had this missional town and that in South Africa, right, is our spiritual inheritance. That's who we are. We, our first Christian DNA was not institutionalized church. It was not the AFM Moshefar. It was actually a radical missions movement that loved God so much they will sell themselves into slavery. That is the genesis of our Christian DNA as South Africans, all South Africans.
And to make this a little bit more interesting is that in, let me make sure about that fact again, 1995, President Nelson Mandela honored the Moravians for their work among South Africans, and he renamed our presidency Genadadol. Our version of the White House is named after the first missions movement that moved to South Africa. If that is not proof that God is trying to raise up a standard and go like, hey, South Africans, you're called to be a missional people, nothing is. How many presidencies, right, the house where the president lives, do you know that's named after the missions movement? I don't know of one personally, I've been to a few places. But I believe that is so because God has marked this nation to be missional. Can I give you another reason why we're marked to be missional? Do you know what makes it really hard for Americans to be missionaries? That all of them only speak English. And not just that, that, they might speak a little bit of Spanish, but their whole culture is English. They don't have Koza, Sutu, Afrikaans, and the other seven national languages and the complexity of multiculturalism the whole time around them. Now, they're amazing missionaries because they're good at everything they do. But here's the thing. God set up our nation to be amazing missional people because we are born into complexity. And if you're called to be a missional person and you want clear, clear cut, black and white, this is how things work, there's no gray, right? You will be a horrible missionary because you know what you'll do? You'll try to make everybody like you. People like Jesus way more than they like our culture. The most radical mission movements that see the most Muslims get saved do you know what they tell those Muslims? Keep going to the mosque. It's okay. Just pray to Jesus, not Allah. Hey, keep wearing all your stuff. They even tell the women to keep wearing their hijabs. Because they realize that if they take them out of that, culturally, they get murdered immediately. I have a few friends that's lost a lot of people because of that. So they tell them, hey, the kingdom is in you, don't worry. Do you know what happens? All of those people lead their friends to Jesus. And now you have a mosque, literally one of my friends told this, where half the men praying in the mosque is praying to Jesus. But if you look at them from the outside, they have the big beards, they all look like Muslims. You go eat in their homes, and we have communion around Jesus. Because they didn't catch our culture, they caught our God. I'm naming all these things because I really do believe that this church is meant to understand its calling and identity to be a missional church, to be a missions-sending church. And it does not come just because of Sias or Eugene or the eldership team. It actually comes because of who we as a people in this country are. Anywhere in the world I go, the hardest places, from Syria to the Amazon, to the highest Himalaya mountains, I always find South Africans. It's so weird. It's like no human being should live here. It's horrible. There's a South African. 
It's like, why? Right? Come tell them both to. It's way easier here. Right? But there's something in us, in our DNA, that started with the Moravian movement and the radical zeal for Jesus that marked us to be something. So I want to take us to Matthew 28. You can all turn there. I, I love that. But just open up your own Bible. Is that okay? Right? That's cool. But bring your book. If you don't know this book, your life will suck. Honestly. Zinzendorf, the leader of the Moravians, got saved as he was on his wealthy person tour of all of the capital cities of Europe at the end of his bachelor's degree. And he was walking in a... Um, in an art gallery and he stood in front of this massive painting of Jesus on the cross. Oh no, Jesus standing like this just after he's been scourged, which means he was whipped to pieces. And on the one side, it was written, behold the man. And it was Pilate after Jesus was whipped that showed him to the people and says, behold the man. And Zinzendorf, this womanizing drunkard, wealthy young man looked at that painting and in the had an open vision and god said to him look what i've done for you what will you do for me and boom his life changed and so not only is our movement that we are as christians in this nation birthed upon mission but it's birthed upon the revelation of the price that was paid this mission zeal didn't come from our good ideas. It came from a revelation of what was done for us. We, we live missional as a response to goodness, not to gain goodness. That's the prosperity gospel. It's heresy. We live from goodness. So Matthew 28. I'm going to read the whole thing and then we're going to unpack it. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And then they saw him. They worshipped him. But some doubt it. I love that. Can I, I'm, I'm just going to pause there. Sorry, I'm supposed to read through it, but I'm just going to pause there. The Bible said that some doubt it. Some of you here should say hallelujah. Because the Bible could have been written like superhuman cyborgs that never had an off day. And I would have been disqualified. I don't know about you, but I, I would have been disqualified. But it chooses to say that the 11, which was like Jesus' bros. Okay, his closest guys that saw everything with him, some still doubt it. And it says it there, I think, on purpose to go like, hey, like as you are embarking on this missional life, you do not embark on it when you're perfect. Even in your doubt, you can follow him. Even in your questioning, oh, how does this work? You can follow him. Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority, say all. all, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, say go, and make disciples of all nations, say all, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm always with you to the end of the age. I love this. Jesus here starts 
this last commission of his to his disciples, which means to us. And he goes like, hey guys, let me just restructure reality. All authority has been given to me. All. It's not to the Roman government. It was not to you. It's his. And then in Jesus defining, can you go to verse 18, please? Thank you. In Jesus defining authority, right? So he says, in the heavenly realms, right, which is the place of warfare, the demonic, the angelic, he goes like, hey, everything there, all authority is mine. And then he goes like, here on earth, all authority is mine. I have the last say. So he's saying that, I believe, to some extent, because he understands the persecution is about to happen. To go like, people are going to tell you, you can't do this, but authority is mine. Go do it. So your contract might tell you you can't do that. Who has all authority? I can't hear you. Who has all authority? So your contract does not have all authority. And you're going to go like, yeah, you're a missionary. I have stories, don't worry. All authority. And Jesus says it's his. And after he explains to them the amount of authority that he carries, he then gives them a command. He says, stay in church. I, I, I don't read it there. He says, go. Right? I once heard somebody say this. It's kind of funny and it's true. God is so committed to go that it's two-thirds of his name. <laughs> I stole that from somebody else. That was not my idea. Go, therefore, and make converts. No, I didn't say that either. Count the hands. I didn't say that either. Make what? Disciples. Okay. Do I count hands? Yes, I do. Okay, why? Because we want to be faithful and know that those hands represent an individual. And for me to steward well the individual that that hand represents, I need to know where they are so I can get them to somebody to disciple them. So when people tell you, oh, why do you have people raise up their hands and count them and stuff? It's because I value the individual. Usually people that don't do that never see any salvations and they just have little small holy huddles and nothing happens. Make disciples. And the word disciple there is like the word apprentice. It's in training learning. Okay, you're doing it and that's how you're becoming. It is not the Greek form of mastering an academic subject. You cannot be a disciple and cognitively understand the content. That's not a disciple. That's a learner. A disciple becomes the content. And the, the, the disciple becomes like, tell them the big side to it. It says your intellect and your ethics should look like the kingdom. Okay, because I would ask some of you, how many of you believe evangelism is important? Can I see you? Raise your hands quickly. Okay, keep your hands up very high. Okay, how many of you preach the gospel to somebody straightforward? You need to repent and turn to Jesus this week. Keep your hands up if you did. I would disagree then. 
Only these people believe it. You cognitively understand the importance of it, but you don't believe it. Otherwise, you would do it. That's the idea of a disciple. A disciple embodies the truth of the master. It lives out that truth. Now, some of you might go like, yeah, but I'm busy, I'm at work. Yes, the primary enemy of the spiritual life is busyness. The primary enemy, it's not porn. Porn is easy to say no to if Jesus is Lord. Busyness is a different story because all of culture points in that direction. All of culture pushes you towards busyness. And then your children, <laughs> right? Because now your children have 97 sports, right? Not only is that your job has 14 things, you still want to be healthy and go to the gym every now and then, which is awesome. I love that. And then somewhere in that, God, I'm going to put in my earphones and listen to a podcast on my way to work and think that's going to keep me. Sure, buddy. See how that works out. It might assist your consciousness. It might feel that you're doing better than your friends around you. But Satan doesn't even have to tempt you. He just allows the world to push you in direction. Then goes on to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That word baptize, I love this. I learned this from a very smart man called David Hamilton. That word baptize does not mean um, <clears throat> you put a biscuitie in coffee. That's not what it means. Obedience is God's love language. To see if you're a good disciple, I would just ask you, how obedient are you? Simple. Not how much quiet time you have, because you might be a mom with twins. Right? Because if a mom with twins is held next to somebody that spends their lives in the International House of Prayer, and they pray eight hours a day, and that mom prays to Jesus that she'll have 10 minutes of quiet somewhere, Right, and she's radically obedient in that 10 minutes and the person eight hours is not. She's more of a disciple than them. You realize that, right? You can't jippo the system in Christianity. You can try, like there's no shortcuts. You can't bribe the system. Okay, God knows your heart. That's the hard part. It's either in or out, like you can't fake it. You might jippo everybody else, but he knows. And it's important that we know that that is the end goal, is obedience. And the re reason obedience is the end goal of discipleship is because it's only when we're in obedience to Him that we actually can make the world like Him. If we're in obedience to other things, we will make the world into the image of something else. And when Jesus prayed, let it be on earth as it is in heaven, He meant it. That, that statement wasn't like a, hey, let's pray for a glory cloud to come. I love that, but it's also meant to actually convince us that there is a transformative element to the Christian walk that could make the disorder and the ugliness of this world transformed into the order and beauty that God made it to be. There has never been as goodness in humanity like there is right now. People have never had this much human rights on the earth like they have right now. The fact that we can be multiracial in this room is a sign and a, and a wonder. 
35 years ago, if you would have said this and see all the different races of people in this room, people have said, impossible, you're lying. God wins, can you see it? The fact that there's people from different races in this room means that God wins. The kingdom is expanding. And it's good. I think it's awesome. I don't know about you, you're very quiet right now. It's okay to speak about race. It's not a bad thing. God made us like that, right? It's awesome. Then the last part, he says, and behold, I'm always with you to the end of the age. So the end goal of discipleship of a person is for them to understand how to live a life of obedience. But the end goal of discipleship for that person, not for your goal, for that person is presence. So the end goal for me as a teacher is can this person obey God? The end goal for the person being taught is can I live a life that's rooted in God's presence? And it's important that you understand that our life in God, our life of discipleship, our life of being a missional people, if it's not rooted in His presence, you will burn out. You'll hate your life. Him being Emmanuel, God with us, is what gives us the authority, is what gives us the confidence to walk out this Christian life faithfully and well. He is life. That's the only place that life is found, is in Him. And so Jesus ends with that. He says, if you're on mission with me, here's what you'll get. Me. Not success. Not more stage time. You'll get me. That's it. And if you don't want him, you'll not be on mission. But if you get him, you'll be on mission because that's how it works. So I want to tell a few stories. And all of this was to get to what I'm doing now. So I gave you the historical background of our country and mission, going like, hey, we're it, okay? It's called God made us. Number two is biblically, you're not called to sit, you're called to go, right? So how does that even look? It looks a few different ways. One way is, um, me and all my friends, before I knew it was a thing, we just went like, hey, let's not, in, in our future, this was when we all were university students, we're like, in our future, Let's not make the pinnacle of our children's here Margate or Stellenbosch or Longabon. What about if we make the pinnacle of our children's here another unreached people group that we get to visit? What about if my child goes like, hey, where are you guys going for December? We went to Nepal this year. We're going to Pakistan, this one. Where are you guys going? Oh, we went to Jordan I heard we're going to Colombia, this one. And instead of staying in mega mansions and splurging everything on yourself, you could sleep in mud huts and go spend it on others. Mm. That's like a very sad. We just started doing it. First year we were seven. Second year we were 17, 18. The third year we were about 54 people. This year we're 110, and we're just going like, hey, let's just do it. Let's just take Decembers. And that time we take to go just spend in the nations with people who's never heard the name of Jesus. So that's one way we do it. My wife, when we first did it in part, she was doing her articles, she's a lawyer, 
And she told her boss before she signed her contract, hey, every December I go on a month-long outreach, right? So I'll work weekends. So she worked weekends for a year. Saturdays. To get a month to go to Nepal and see people get saved. Okay. I, I, I have friends, right, that travel with, but they have big families, right? So we have this one guy's name is Yaku. He's coming with us now again to Nepal. And um, he has five, four? He has four children, four kids, right? And he's like, hey, I can't leave my wife in South Africa with four kids. So we need to go somewhere, right, where there's a good enough established community that my wife and my kids can live in the community there while we go to the hard places and I can just come in and out. So we're like, great, let's go to Nepal. So what we did is we called the families. We're like, hey, who of you um, have space for these people? So one of the families was like, oh, we actually have space. My husband is going to help lead the trek, so I'm going to be alone with the kids in any way. So what about you come with your kids? I come with my kids, and then both of us are not alone, and then we can have like a little crash going, all right? Problem solved, right? But here's then the other side of the coin. Now my wife was in missions with me now for the last four years. Um, three years, sorry, last three years. God called her back into corporate law. Um, she works in restructuring companies, way opposite of what she did in mission, which is hilarious. But here's a funny story she told me the other day. She, she kept on telling me, Gabe, you need to encourage me. I am still a missionary. I'm just one in corporate law right now. I'm like, great, honey. So we pray, we ask God for strategy, for ideas. And then she told me the other day, her boss is actually also a Christian. And they work on pretty ginormous projects. And um, they were sitting with a few executives and um, GMs of a few pretty large, famous companies you all know in South Africa. And um, they were having this conversation and one of the uh, guys were cussing a lot and using really bad language. And um, three of those guys left the meeting and it was Michelle, her boss, and two other people. And when those guys left the meeting, Michelle's boss turned to the other people and was like, hey, let's just pray right now. We need a strategy to get these guys in the kingdom. They're all sitting in their suits, Michelle in her pencil skirt, talking about hundreds of millions. And the first thing out of his mouth when they left the room was not the money, it was their souls. Now what the corporate South Africa will tell you is you can't do that. Says who? Who has all authority? Do you know when you can't do that? If you don't do your job. Because then you give God a bad name. But if you do your job well, you can do whatever you want. My mom works for the Department of Education. She oversees about 250, 280 teachers. You're right? And she has Muslims in her group. She has people from all beliefs in her group. Do you know what she does? Right? She shows, like, she loves Uncle Stephen Furtick. Right? <laughs> and she, she, she shows Stephen Furtick clips Every single time she has a training with 250 teachers. And she prays for them and she goes after them. And she's won the prize for the best in her work in South Africa. Do you know what happens? They can't fire her. She's too good at what she does. They literally, she's like, they can fire me if they want to. I'm just too good at what I do. But I will preach the gospel every single time. Do you know what happened? My mom had 16 teachers in COVID, reach out to her saying, I'm about to take my life. I need help, please. My mother prayed for a lady the other day that had TB for three years. She was about to die. 
prayed for her. She got completely healed. She came to my mother with the negative result a week later. Right? I have a friend called Stefan. Um, Stefan did his PhD in um, biochemistry, looking for a cure for Parkinson's. And he couldn't find a way to have the, um, uh, the, the thing, the solution stick for him to do the, all of his research stuff. And so he has quiet time one morning. He's like, God, you need to help me. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to fix the problem. And he hears this phrase, if you use the cells in the back of your mouth, it will work. So he tried it out and it worked. Right? And he had the top 1% best PhDs on the whole university. Preaches the gospel wherever he goes. I'm telling these stories to you to tell you there's no excuse. You just want one. There is no excuse for you to live a missional life. Have you ever seen, and I'm, I'm going to be very politically incorrect right now. I'm, I'm sorry if I offend you. I'm not trying to do it. Have you ever seen ever somebody pushing the whole gender thing be politically correct around you? No. It's their right. They'll talk about it. You should get over it. Have you ever seen somebody that is very greedy and just wants to make money tiptoe to try and convince you to make money? No, they just say it. So why do we as Christians, if we have the only source of truth on the earth, tiptoe around it trying to not offend people? You will always offend them. Have you seen what happens in the Bible when they took the, the Baal statues? People want to kill them, right? We still have Baal. Baal lust, Baal money, Baal success. And when you touch that idol, people get upset. They're not upset at you. You're just taking their God. And this morning I'm with you and I'm sharing with you guys to say you have permission to radically follow Jesus. You have permission to be missional. You don't have to go to Timbuktu. You can speak to Eugene and see us. They'll set you up. Right? If they can't do it, we will. Right? Just speak to somebody. But if you know in obedience to the Spirit of the Lord that that's not what you're supposed to do, you can be missional where you're planted. You can be missional where you are planted. You can choose to share the gospel. And I'm not saying that tomorrow morning, you can't do this, but like you have permission to do what I'm about to say, but you don't have to do this. But I'm not saying you should stand on the chair in your Monday morning corporate gathering and go like, hey guys, right, you need to repent, turn or burn. Right? You can do that. It might work. I don't know. I've seen it work. Right? But you can just go to one person, ask God, God, give me one person of peace. And just ask, Lord, can I share with them? Show me. So I want to encourage all of us this morning. Where you are sitting in that chair, I want to ask you a question. Are you living a missional life? Or is your Christianity built around your comfort? Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.